Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of our podcast Getting to Better Together, sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership of the University of the Sunshine Coast, and I'm your host Richard Borden. Before proceeding any further, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gubby Gubby people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And within this acknowledgement, I, I wish to express my appreciation of traditional ways of knowing and doing and pay my respects too to those processes. For the, the core of our theme in getting to better together in this mini-series is the foundational belief that what we do in this world, our actions, our behaviours, our practices, is in very large part determined by how we see it. And by seeing here, I mean the particular personal perspective that we each bring to bear as we seek to make sense of what's happening around us in our environment, how we come to know what it is that we know. And such a perspective reveals a particular set of beliefs and value assumptions that we come to adopt, unknowingly really, as we develop from childhood into adulthood. And we refer to these perspectives as our worldviews, and they embrace such issues as our personal beliefs about the nature of nature or of reality, of our relationships with it. Also the nature of human nature, particularly with respect to our values, including our ethics and our aesthetics. And perhaps most significantly of all, about the nature of knowledge and of the process of knowing and believing. How do we come to know and believe, and do we do that differently between peoples? How do we come to know what we know? How can we trust the validity of such knowledge and what moral framework provides the foundations for our ethics and our aesthetics and how we do know to come to know these things and so on. From all of this it follows that if we want to or need to do things differently in this world then our worldview beliefs and assumptions need to be transformed as a prerequisite and evidence abounds that this transformation is a critical and urgent necessity particularly when getting together is contestable. So it transpires that this is all very much easier said than done, for each of us seems to have a very marked aversion for personal transformation in this sense. And things get infinitely more complex the moment we add the essential notion of togetherness. And throughout this series of to date, we've emphasised the critical need for collaboration, for cooperation, for participation, for collective action in our quest for a sustainable future. I know of no one more qualified to guide us through this complex morass than my guest this morning. Professor Valerie Brown is a visiting fellow at the Australian National University and an emeritus professor at uh, the University of Western Sydney. She's an outstanding researcher and a teacher, a prolific writer, a consultant with an amazingly wide constituency from local governments and local communities right through to federal governments. And all else in between a policy advisor both in Australia and beyond in the international community, and most atypically of all as an academic perhaps, she also has a very strong activist impulse. In other words, she's into this, boots and all. To borrow from one of her biographers, Valerie holds to a strong ethic of a just, sustainable future for the whole of human society, including an abundance of life in all of its richness and its beauty. So it's my pleasure indeed to welcome you, Valerie. Thank you, Richard. That was rather a wrap-up. But the very last sentence I totally agree with. <laughs> I totally think we all of us deserve that. 
Let me uh, well. Let me ask you to start start how you um, how you committed to such a wonderful ethic in the first place. Do you remember a moment, or has has your work displayed a moment when you said, "That's it. That's what I stand for." Right. Can I have two moments? You can have as long as you like. One one as a child, absolutely all pervading contact or understanding of or love of the environment. Even an urban, you know, ever since, of course, it's been natural environments, but in fact, it's urban environments, it's uh, home gardens, it's just that feeling of belonging to that rhythm. So right. that's, that's one moment that I know, knew I could never give up, that I couldn't move on from, I would always be there. And the other one was after I'd, I'd been working in a university and I was home for 15 years with children and when I went back after children and I of course am trained as a scientist and when I went back after children I thought but science isn't telling us how to live <laughs> so I so I had to start again so I really started again from the beginning which has been very handy I reckon I recommend it starting again from the beginning is the most marvelous You've got empty fields to fill. Well, especially after a changing in circumstances, isn't it? I mean, the, the, I can remember my, uh, my late wife saying the same things to me. And I can remember her once throwing a book on uh, psychology back to me when I suggested I could understand what our children were doing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. And not only that, um, you also don't understand what anyone else is doing when you change that you were talking about changing frameworks and being a different person, or you didn't say that, but you said you pick up a different framework. And that's, that's absolutely true, I think. The first time I became um, really aware of your work before you came and joined us at the University of Western Sydney, as it then was, was the local sustainability project, uh, which was extraordinary in terms of, uh, well, A, its motivation, and, and B, just its sheer logistics, let alone anything else. What drew you to that? Well, it, it was, it grew from one local government to the sphere of local government to the sphere of federal government uh, to international <laughs> government. Wow. So it was a bit of a shock to me too. But that was a combination of what people were wanting and needing and where my mind was going at the time. So having got back into uh, that framework of, okay, what can everybody, how can we have a just and sustainable future? I started thinking that one started with community. So often it starts with policy or it starts with a power set or it starts with money, economic. But it starts from a focus and a focus of power. And what I was trying to do was say, no, unless you can get all those forms of power and those lenses, different lenses on the world, unless you can get them together in some circumstances that they hear each other, then don't begin. Don't try. And so that was where I did start from. And uh, it's quite a history of how at first 
I was copying other people and it didn't work. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea that you just get a whole lot of people from all over and you're very careful to get bits of everybody um, or everything and you put them together. Now, it, in retrospect, it's pretty naive to think they're all going to say, oh, how nice to see you <laughs> and get on with working. Of course not. They fight. Right. They've, yeah. been, they've been fighting for years, years and years. So if you put together the particular set our research emerged with, uh, that you need, you need strong individuals that have some effect on the system. You need the community representatives, and I mean citizens. I just don't mean just anybody, but people who are well-grounded citizens who live there, and then you get your set of your disciplines or your experts. So you get whatever professions happen to be of any relevance. So again, not just anybody. And the next, which is, I think, one of the most unusual, is the, the organisations that influence that community. And that might be anything from the the Red Cross, to the childcare centres, to main economic functions, all of that. And one of the reasons for having them there, and that's not only my research, lots of people's, the organisations service, in fact all the groups, service their own agendas. And I'm not being just rude there. I'm just saying we just accept that they do and they accept they do. And unless you mix them up with other people with agendas they can hear, why would they stop and think about the community? That was my thinking at the time. And the uh, final and necessary way of thinking, I'm using holistic, which I think you use too. And it's a word that makes people bristle a bit. But uh, if you think about it, you do need some people who naturally think to the centre as a leave-in. So that set of people became, after we got highly sensitised to the fighting or the tactful disagreement, whichever it was, <laughs> we then revamped, revamped the workshops and always had those representatives of, or people belonging rather to those groups together. And that made a huge difference. We, we went into a different conversation. Could we say this was at the, the dawning of, of an awareness of, of sustainability without really much more than some naive notion or a pious hope? Was this coincident with that? Because you were actually introducing a new agenda to local governments and local communities, weren't you? Oh, I was. Uh, oh, we were. Yes, we were. And it was, at the beginning, coincidental. That's why we made the mistake too. It was, everyone was rushing around in the, let me think, 80s and 90s, bringing people together and sitting back and saying, weren't we clever? And that's, we, we followed that. That was the recipe for the times. And we did have, as a, as a project, we had quite an extraordinary breadth ourselves, actually. We had 
good contacts in lots of places. So we, we were able to have very wide swathes of people. And the second thing was we always worked with communities that want, wanted the change, whatever it was. I mean, it might be uh, they lived on a river or it might be uh, they had whatever. We only sort of signed up when a community wanted the change. Now, the fact that they didn't all want the same change was part of what we had to deal with. That's part of what we got, if I may say so, quite good with dealing with. Right. I mean, it's not as if you were just coming up with a simple idea either, was it? Where it's not saying, OK, well, um, all we're trying to do is to bridge the river or build a road somewhere. It has to do with, wow, we're really talking about the future of humanity here and the whole nature of nature. That's actually true. It's true for me personally, but I wouldn't have dared tell our clients because I think part of the, not quite, it's more than method, as you point out, much more than method. It's part of our way of choosing to see the world, really, was that everyone could do what anybody else could do that one human being is not different from another human being in a really basic way. So if you're looking, humanity is a big word. But if you see every functioning community as a piece of humanity and the people in it as human beings, then what you have is something everybody shares. One of the interesting things I've, I've found, uh, going back to this notion of holistic, is that people really don't grasp it in the same way um, because I guess we're, we're over-rational about it all. And one of the, just to digress slightly, one of the things that I found working with Aboriginal peoples a long, long time ago is this wonderful fusion, not just of people with nature, but of the supernatural with the natural. And that there was just no distinction. And one of the troubles I had in my early work was that I really dismissed the supernatural. And so that for, for me then, early in my career, holism was just really simply a word that meant wholeness rather than immersion. That just is the ultimate, incredibly intricate interconnections between us as people among us and between us and, and the rest of nature. Absolutely, yes. That's probably why I like your work too. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yes, let me let me just um, chew on that a second because it's crucially important. So the word holistic, we always had to treat carefully. People from the other groups, like the organisations and the specialists and the community, they always knew who they were. wasn't a problem. Holistic was something we had to take a position on because it's not generally talked about or thought about, but that's our culture, isn't it? Your your Indigenous friends, of course, have a culture in which to be, or it is holistic, so there's no need to explain to people. Indeed, my Indigenous friends have to explain it to me. Yeah, that's right. And that's really true. That's really true. I often don't get it because it's simply not 
totally in my structure. The, the, for me, the, the immediate giveaway is when people say a bit more holistic. You know, it can't be a bit more holistic. It either is or it isn't. <laughs> That's a beauty. Yes, it's like it's more unique. But the holistic, if I can tell stories, I worked, it was in the Northern Territory actually, but I was working with a group, a mob, and we got on really well and they asked me to come and live with them for a little while. And I thought that was fantastic. I was really getting somewhere. So I said, good, then I will better understand all the things that you've been talking to me. And they looked at me as if a sort of really naughty child <laughs> who ought to grow up. And of course, I hadn't, still hadn't got the message that I would never be part of how they thought. No. You need a lifetime. And so that's, I think, holistic to me is a bit like that. Like you have exactly what you said, Richard, exactly. You have it or you don't. So that, that we used to do lots of tricks and exercises to help or help work with people until uh, each of them had a feeling of holistic. No definition, no feeling that it's one thing, but no. that everybody is centred somewhere. We, uh, I think we made in the early mistake in, in our early work about trying to come to it from the notion of systems. And for me, systems is holism. I mean, that, that the whole point about looking at things systemically is the same as looking at them holistically. It is emergent, it is absolutely non-understandable other than in its entire wholeness. And the mistake was that people identified, and still do, systems with machines. So it's still the world out there rather than the world in which I am immersed. And that seems to me a huge challenge for us concerned with trying to, to express sustainability in existential terms rather than simply something abstract, something out there. Yes, well, of course, you were someone who pioneered the use of the word systemic because you're right, systems, and they probably are, I think it's correct to think of them as mechanical. Something that works like the pieces work, whereas systemic, that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's your word, but uh, systemic to me is, yes, it belongs in the whole dynamic pattern. Exactly. Yep. So that's how, but it, it used to be very difficult to get people to get it if you got the right uh, games or something for the right group. So, or the right community, rather. I, I guess if you're making it more theoretical, the ethos of a... There's always an ethos to a community. I, I think the two words are irrevocably linked. And so if you can evoke, uh, evoke that ethos, then you've got your holistic dimension. How's that? I remember many years ago, I was um, working in Latin America and learning Spanish on, on the job, as it were. And I came across a wonderful distinction that I hadn't really thought about in English. And that was where I had been concerned, I thought, with learning for doing or learning by being, practical learning. 
what they introduced to me was the idea of learning by being and the whole notion of, of really what we've been talking about to, so that one accepts that one is part of, absolutely part of, inextricably from everything else that's around and one can only just take samples here and samples there. But the, for me, the, the notion of learning for being or learning by being is so fundamentally different from learning by doing or learning by being told. Yes. Well, yeah, all I can say is yes. Well, it, it brings me to the issue um, of ethos uh, and a wonderful colleague that uh, I, I, I think you know, Marsha Salner, who came to this issue of saying, well, to actually become aware of that as individuals and even more so collectively is the key forward. So until and unless you get this point that we see the world differently, and just again as an aside, uh, it, it pulls at my heartstrings about this so-called debate, but it's actually not. It's the fight between talking about we Europeans, the early settlers so-called here, not as settlers, but as invaders. And, and both are perfectly legitimate worldviews, but totally opposed. Yes, again, I'm in danger of just agreeing with you. Um, yes, well, the concept that lies, well, particularly in those cross-cultural areas, but it is people reflecting on themselves and reflecting on their community. Some of these things, when you try and do them, you realise they're not regular, they're not routine. Exactly. And that's what's interesting, because when you're really keen on this and you've seen it work and work, it's easy to forget every time you go to a new group, they're new. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, and that was a, you know, an occupational risk that we, we would ever not go either beforehand or whatever way we learnt to get some sense of the ethos of that community. Yeah, that's really, really an important lesson. It was interesting, in a, in a recent uh, conversation with Cynthia Mitchell, she was uh, introducing to a large number of people, I think, the word reflexivity, which is exactly the notion you've talked about. And I, I'm charged with writing a blurb for each talk. And, and I thought, if I put the word reflexivity, is that actually going to connect with people? And I thought, well, it must. So I'm going to leave it in there. And really what you've just said is precisely that. It's reflexivity, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, and also the fact that even you yourself don't only have one person. Um, people are, bundle is a pretty prosaic word, but people That's are... That's a good word, yes. A, a bundle of where they've been, who they are, what happened to them. And so to have a climate, uh, a context in which that's okay. I think that's quite a challenge. And I think everyone probably has a moment in their lives when they've felt that. In fact, it's probably a bit sad if people haven't. Well, I think it's, it's sad uh, that even when people do, then they shrug it off, as it were. They don't use it, uh, to use an American expression, as a learning moment. It just happened, they think about it afterwards, but they don't really reflect upon it. Yes, I think there's a bit of cultural rejection of it. It's very hard to find someone to talk to. When you've had, what's like to say, 
a moment, a special moment, and you maybe even recognised it and maybe want to revisit it, it's still not proper to go and talk to the person next door and say, I've just had this wonderful moment. <laughs> you remind me of all the international travels that I've done and I've come back with all these photographs and said, hey, look at all this, and people have just disappeared. Valerie, it's just been super talking to you after all these years, um, and I really hope that you can come back because we haven't explored a whole lot of issues that I know uh, that you not only know about but are passionate about. Uh, and they would include social learning, collective learning, transformation, and so on. So thank you so much for talking with us, and I look forward to talking with you again. Right. Thanks, Richard. I enjoyed talking to you. Excellent. All the best. And thank you, everyone, for listening, and I look forward to meeting you again when next we meet with our next guest in what I think is uh, an increasingly fascinating story of getting to better together. Goodbye. <laughs>